0: Better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from High Atop, the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network headquarters a.k.a. The Ant Hill. Today is Tuesday, May the 1st, 2012, and we're expecting riots today with Occupy Wall Street. Uh, Riots that I suspect, when we look at them in retrospect, if they do happen, will maybe have been caused rather than prevented by some of the authorities in charge of overseeing them. Uh, Some of that already went on yesterday out in Little Rock, where it was pretty obvious that they were instigating things with Uh, the protesters by writing them a ticket for jaywalking after the guy was called across the street. So the police officer requested that the guy said, hey, come over here. And when the guy walked across the street, he wrote him a jaywalking ticket. That was on the news last night uh, for the Little Rock Local News. And I just, you look at that and go, really? Why? Why are you provoking this type of behavior? And uh, in places like maybe Chicago or New York, maybe we'll see more of that today. I hope not. Anyway, I have an interesting uh, guest for us, a gentleman named Richard Morgan. He's been a contractor and a marine and a prepper uh, for most of his life. We will uh, talk to him in just a little bit about a variety of subjects. Before we do, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is Harvest Eating, the illustrious Chef Keith Snow. You know, I talk about all these great ways to like, grow your own food. And sometimes I talk about things like goomy berries and honey berries and all this different stuff that you don't usually go to the grocery store and find. Kale and chard and what do you do with it all? Well, you go on over to HarvestEating.com and Chef Keith Snow teaches you to cook seasonally and locally and teaches you how to make the cooking skill a life skill. And teaches you about technique versus recipe. And then you get that skill set, and you're able to do a better job of preparing meals for yourself and your family and add a really great skill set of being able to cook wonderfully to what you're doing. He also has some really great things to help you do that, like a seasoning mix. I'm about to order some more steak seasoning today because uh, even though I'm a prepper and stock up, I'm actually out of that because I use it so dad gone much. I just did some uh, pork ribs, uh, baby back ribs, with his pork chop seasoning. whole. Just awesome. So check him out today. Again, harvesteating.com. And remember, he's got a uh, new TV show coming out on Rural Free Delivery TV. Uh, I believe that starts this month. Uh, I'll check into that, and if so, I'll put a link in today's show notes where you can learn more about that. Next up today, Western Botanicals. You know, when I need something herbal and it's not growing in my yard or I can't find it, you know, wildcrafted or whatever... I go to Western Botanicals and go, gee, I wonder if they have blank. And the answer is they always have whatever's in the blank. They always have it. So then I order it. But sometimes I'm like, I don't know really what I need, or I call them up and say, hey, we'd like to order some more of the turmeric because my wife's been taking that for some of her arthritis and headaches because it's very good as an anti-inflammatory. And they go, we're out, but this product over here actually is mostly turmeric and would basically do the same thing. There's people that answer the phone that care, that speak English Right, that actually are part of the business instead of some third party, you know, telemarketing shop over in Mumbai. Real people that really care. And if we really have a question and the person on the line is not sure, then they'll say, Let me get Dr. Christensen or another member of the staff back to you. And like within an hour or so, we get a phone call and then they'll say, Hey, let me go into this. Or sometimes it's just one of the staff members. I talked to Dr. Christensen and he said, This is his recommendation. You don't just get that anywhere when it comes to buying herbal supplements. That's Western Botanicals. That's that's why they're a sponsor of the show. That's why I'm glad to have them. Um, on Western Botanicals, the other thing I want to remind you of is if you join the Member Support Brigade, they have a program. It's called a, a Discount Buyers Program. It's $50 a year. And you get it for free your first year, and you get it for half price if you want it again going into the second year. It gives you 25% off everything they sell. So their one benefit that they offer to the MSB pays for the price of the MSB if you use herbals at all. That's a great way to look at it. So check them out today. Again, westernbotanicals.com. And remember, don't be afraid to pick the phone up and call them uh, if you have trouble navigating their website. They sell so much. It's hard to find what you need when you're not sure what it is. But the caring nature of the people on the other side of that phone line, that's what makes them really special. Next, remember you can connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just put up a new YouTube video yesterday. Uh, I think a lot of people really got a lot of enjoyment out of it. Uh, We went back to the compost facility last night, beat the rainstorm, and managed to get a little load of compost and some more wood. Uh, It was shredder day. So we went on the right day because all that great wood that we didn't pick up on uh, Saturday because they they locked us in. We had to go ask the guy to let us out on Saturday because we stayed too long. uh was getting shredded. But there was a new pile forming, and we were able to get a lot of oak and hickory and some other wood that we'll use to finish that berm you saw in that video. so videos are coming to YouTube. I think I'm going to do more and more with the iPhone. It's just easier. It's simpler. I can upload it straight from the phone with no editing. And I think it's more important that I get the videos up for you guys than I do production quality. I've just kind of decided that's the way that I want to go with this. Uh, and we'll still do some like high-end production value videos for some specific things, but we're going to do more and more with the iPhone. i got a lot of products to review. If I can find a little stand for my iPhone. Uh, anybody knows of a cool little uh, iPhone like tripod device or something like that, let me know because uh, I think that could just I could start banging out reviews a lot quicker and what have you as well. And I got a lot of product to review for you guys as well, uh, but Facebook and Twitter I'm always putting out info that doesn't make it on the show, especially stuff that comes in from the audience. You can be part of spreading information uh, by following me there or just finding out about things you wouldn't find out about on the show or sometimes finding out about something on Wednesday that we're not going to talk about on the show till the next Monday. Uh, last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. Military Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, anybody's really a first responder, like paramedics and stuff like that, email me before you join jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com. Put service discount in the subject line, and uh, I will respond to you with a uh, discount code to thank you for your service. Anybody that thinks you might qualify, you can ask. But I will tell you, there's got to be, let's say, a standard that I hold people to with that, and it really is a first responder standard or a military law enforcement standard. Um, I had recently someone that said they're a teacher. I appreciate what you do, but no, that's 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 you know. And I had a guy that emailed me and said he was a mall cop. No. No, I'm not doing mall cops. I'm sorry. I, you know, in the teacher, you know, you kind of feel like bad saying no in the mall cop guy. I'm like, dude, no. Come on, man. You, you know better. You're mall security. You carry a flashlight. That's, that's not really what the program's for. Now, I've probably upset all the mall cops and it, maybe that mall ninja guy. What's his name? Uh, Gecko 33. Maybe I've upset him today. If you guys don't know the saga of Gecko 33, buddy. Just Google that. Gecko33 is one word with t- t- the 3-3 at the end. And there's a forum thread on that somewhere that, oh my god, if you need a good laugh, that's one to read. Anyway, with all of that wrapped up, oh, one more thing. I, I keep forgetting to mention it because it's a new thing, but you can check out tspcopper.com. You can get some really cool copper medallions there. Uh, they're $34 a roll of 20, not $34 a piece. MSB, you get another 10% off. And uh, some really cool ways to spread a lot of cool messages there, not just TSP, but some other cool stuff. And uh, there are discounts for buying them in bulk. I'm looking at trying to put together like a, a variety pack, so to speak, with a discount. I'll work with Rob. That's probably not going to happen until I get back from Montana, but I'm going to work with him on that when I get back from Montana. All right, with all that wrapped up, let me go ahead and introduce our special guest today again, Mr. Richard Morgan. Uh, he grew up in the Arctic and then he went into the Marine Corps and did two tours in Iraq, and then contracted with—we'll just say—one of the contracting agencies for about three years in Afghanistan and Iraq. And then he became interested in the, the prepping lifestyle, probably because of all the stuff he saw doing that stuff, and also read uh, James Rawls's book uh, along with a good friend of his. And uh, so they spent a lot of time in uh, overseas. And then this uh, this friend of his invited him to a remote outpost in New Mexico to see what he was doing. And he decided that maybe that was a little too much and looked for a more even-minded approach. So he set some realistic goals and built on them uh, and started developing his own prep supplies and trying to teach others about it. He has a really cool website uh, that you can learn more about what he's doing called Great Northern Prepper. And, uh, it seems like just a really cool guy. We're here to discuss a lot of different things, uh, community versus, uh, long, you know, lone wolf prepping, uh, some of the things we've learned about the AR platform and the AR round in our overseas engagements, uh, and many other really cool things, just kind of a uh, round table discussion, but between two folks. And, uh, with that, Hey, Richard, welcome to the survival podcast, man. Thanks for having me. Um, so you have a pretty interesting background. Uh, you, you are a guy that's a, a prepper yourself, but you've also uh, been kind of in some different parts of the world and seen things kind of uh, on their, on their seedier side uh, as a contractor as well. But how did you really first get into, you know, the preparedness lifestyle?
1: Well, uh, about a week after high school, um, I joined up and uh, spent the next Four years uh in the marine Corps uh did uh two tours over there um, and then I got back and tried to live the civilian lifestyle for about two years and I kind of got into not a lot of credit card debt. it was only about a thousand bucks, but for what I was making at the time, that was actually quite a bit um, that and I just really missed kind of running around the world so a friend of mine had been contracting and contacted him and got my uh my resume pushed through and from there i i spent about uh 3 years um, over in the middle east uh contracting there on the security side and got to see a lot of uh the not so nice parts of the world as far as in uh in recent decades um, but as far as uh, getting into prepping um, my uh Lifestyle before, then kind of growing up, um, just kind of in a more rural atmosphere, we were a lot more. Uh, we lived about two hours away from uh, kind of like the major box stores. So anytime that you were going to go get anything, it was always about a two-hour trip, and then you'd load up the vehicle um, for anything. So you kind of had to definitely plan out what you were going to need ahead of time. Uh, we hunted and fished all the time, and so that kind of carried over until when I got out of high school and I was in the military and everything like that, obviously you're you know, kind of uh living on what you have and what they can give you at the time. But um, I wasn't really so much a prepper as much. I was into guns um, a lot and and I love shooting and, and, and all the different uh types of uh weapons I could get my hands on through the local community gun clubs and and uh friends that I knew. But uh, when I was over contracting a friend of mine started, uh, talking to me about it and I was kind of, um, you know, it was interesting and, but I still kind of had like a lot of people do, um, kind of that negative connotation that goes along with, uh, with, with prepping, you know, um, kind of, you know, the visions of Montana Freeman and all that kind of crazy stuff that, uh, kind of comes up with that, that obviously is not true and not really, uh, um, you know, kind of, uh, good examples and, and a true example of what preppers are. But he had um, J.W. Rawls' book, um, the How to Survive the End of the World as You Know It. I started reading it. I thought it was pretty interesting. And so I got about halfway through his. I ordered mine and I ended up finishing it. And then that's when it kind of clicked in, you know, just looking at how the world was. At the time, you know, it was about the time of the 08 uh, financial crisis. So um, it was kind of a, a I guess uh you know a good time to kind of see that uh serendipitous of of um time to be reading that, and it really clicked for me, and I really kind of started to formulate in my mind you know just how um how fragile you know our our society is, especially being overseas and seeing areas of the world that where you kind of see like that pretty much total collapse of of any kind of cohesive national government and it's just pretty much very tribal and very localized and living day to day and to the point where, you know, you, you see kids running around um that are, you know, like two years old and, you know, don't even have, you know, pants to spare you know, just have like a an old shredded dirty shirt and you just kinda of see those types of things and it and it started to click with me that maybe the US isn't as uh as secure uh, you know, as we would like to think that it is as far as, you know, this could never happen here. And and from there, I already had quite a few guns because I, you know, like I said, I like shooting and everything like that. So, um, I really, uh, started to get into it. I wasn't home, you know, but maybe two months out of the year so I didn't, um, have like a home base at the time. Um, so I just started, uh, getting a few things here and there. And then now, uh, that I'm, I'm back stateside permanently. Um, and kind of, you know, taking the next step in life. Uh, I've uh, really started to get into that, and that's been about the uh, last year or so. Um, so starting to get, uh, you know, those various preps in order, um, you know, food, water, um, sanitation, those types of things. So.
0: Very cool. So, I mean, with, with seeing all that, obviously you'd think that it's probably a good idea that people maybe don't go to extremes and, you know, start installing LPOPs all around their property or anything like that. But, uh, definitely having a means of defense and being, you know, thinking in that direction and, and, and possibly taking some, you know, things that would be considered more tactical steps.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea to learn the knowledge and maybe, you know, practice it, you know, if you have, if you have time, but not necessarily, uh, getting a, uh, you know, retreat and, and setting up, uh, yeah, the LPOPs and, you know, razor wire and, and trip flares and stuff like yeah, that. If yeah. there's, you know, if things were to the point where you needed it, then, you know, yeah, I wouldn't fault somebody for doing that or, or for learning it, you know, beforehand because you know, it's, it's not bad knowledge to have, you know, there's really no bad knowledge to learn, but, um, yeah, definitely not, uh, worrying about that, you know, aspect of, of, uh, you know, military tactics to the point, um, uh, it'd be a lot better for people to spend their time and their money. Definitely just, um, learning how to, you know, use their weapons correctly. Um, you know, having good comms and everything like that, so.
0: Now, you, you've you had quite a bit of experience overseas, and we recently heard from uh, Joe Nobody that told us that there were some issues with uh, the AR platform, and there have been issues with enemies fighting on after receiving multiple hits. What, what's your insight on that?
1: Um, You know, that has been an issue, um, you know, because...
0: We switched over
1: uh, to the, you know, from the M14 to the M16 uh, in, in Vietnam. And from there, we went to the A2 variants that kind of uh, corrected some of the issues. Um, and from there, we've gone to the A3 and A4, which you don't really see as much M- more. We've moved to the, you know, the shorter-barreled M4s. Um, and even then, we didn't even really move into the shorter barrels until... Um, outside of the special operations community until about oh three um that it was really widespread and there have been those issues, and the brass was trying to figure out why and originally why we went to the m uh, the, the a r excuse me a r family of uh weapons was one they held more rounds you could hold um, thirty rounds, and I know that there's some uh a r people out there saying you know you can only put twenty eight and some say thirty, but you know regardless, you can have a high capacity um uh, magazine you can carry more cuz they're lighter and they were designed originally um cuz they're just uh, you know a souped up 22 pretty much um that they can penetrate uh body armor is what they were originally designed to do and that's when we were you know uh cold war facing the russians um but we really haven't faced uh, an, an enemy um on the battlefield so much that that uses the same type of body armor that you see in a conventional army um, or a military unit, um, but there was actually a um, study done, um, and by the army trying to figure out why this was happening, and they had reports coming in from all different people using, uh, you know, any of the weapons that use the 5.56. You have the 249 saw, which actually fires a a, a little bit hotter round than than what you get in the M16, um, but the M249 saw, which is our light uh, machine gun, the M16 and the M4s, and they also had conflicting reports from people in, you know, in the same unit. You know, one person would say, hey, I, you know, I have complete confidence in this round. This thing works great. And some people would say, you know, it's crap. It's, it's no good. Um, so they start doing studies as far as for what was going wrong with it and if there's a possible replacement, um, for it. And that's where you kind of saw the 6.5 and the six point eight kind of uh coming out. Um which uh like you were talking about in an earlier show, those are a lot of the new rounds they come out with are just basically old rounds kind of tweaked a little bit. And like the six point eight is just basically a 30 Remington. It's based around 30 Remington. Um, it uses a .277 diameter bullet. And it's about the same diameter as the two seventy Winchester. Um, and they designed that one to perform better in short barrel M4s. In um, the CQB, you know, close in under under 100 yards. Um, and it delivers about 50%, close to 50% more energy in those periods of, uh, or in those distances. And it has less recoil and everything like that, so you know, people are going, oh, this is a great round. And then the 6.5 is about the same head case diameter um, as the, the 220 Russian and the 762 by 39 and the PPC. But it required a non-standard AR bolt. So that was another thing they were going to have to uh, put into it. But one of the interesting things they found about the 5.56 round, um, was that, you know, when we practice on the ranges and everything like that in the military and, you know, okay. civilian side too, if your range allows is when you shoot at the human silhouette targets, there's that center mass area, which is basically considered a kill. Um, And then even in some scenarios, they just have those pop-up targets. And if you just hit the target anywhere, even if it's on the shoulder or whatever, it pops down. It goes back
0: down, yeah. Yeah.
1: And what they found, and I guess they shouldn't really say found, but kind of rediscovered, is that and realized that the human body is like a really complex machine. And, you know, we're designed to take quite a bit of damage. You know, we've been through a lot um, in our history as a species. Um, So there's a lot of backups, you know, to keep keep us going and you know from muscle and bone organs skin and fat those all react completely differently um when uh or the round reacts differently when it hits those different things and they cause the round itself to um uh you know have different characteristics as far as when it's going in and that's not even counting when you uh take into effect um uh clothing or body armor if they do have it um, and all those things, you know, they slow, they redirect, they absorb impacts. Um, they absorb fragments or redirect the fragments of the round itself. Um, and even things from our physical condition, our, our weight, our body form. Um, and one of the big things is our mental state. Um, all plays a factor in how each person, you know, reacts, uh or target, I should say, reacts and is stopped, you know, by a bolt, whether they're stopped or not. Um, there was a FBI, um, test for handguns um and what they found um also is that you know there's uh, definitely a psychological factor um uh you know kind of like awareness of the injury some sometimes people are either you know hopped up on drugs or just so full of adrenaline they don't even know that they've been hit um and they could be what's considered you know a stopping shot but they don't even know it uh or their body doesn't even react to it at the time um Kind of, you know, people's preconceived notions of what people do when they're shot um, or just the simple desire to quit can all lead to, you know, rapid incapacitation and or not at all. Um, Like I said, adrenaline, um, the stimulants and all those types of things, too. um, A lot of times you find, especially overseas, some of these guys are hopped up on some um, basically, uh, you know, like speed and stuff like that, Um, kind of the local versions of it. And those all kind of play into whether someone's, quote, unquote, you know, uh, stopped or, or, you know, had a kill
0: shot. So, I mean, with, with with all you've seen for the person that's worried about defending their home, um, maybe not against roving hordes, but against yeah. typical home invasion scenario, uh, because even in a breakdown, that's, that's the big problem is that people start robbing and stealing when they have nothing. What to you is the perfect, you know, tool for that job? <laughs>
1: uh perfect tool. Uh, there's, there's really, you know, there's, there's really not like the, the perfect tool for, for any scenario, you know, because, you know, people, you know, shotgun, you know, 12 gauge is probably, you know, the best overall that you're going to have as far as for a home invasion, especially close in. Um, if someone's a hundred yards out on the tree line, that's not something you're going to want to use, but, you know, in your home, 12 gauge just has, you know, immense stopping power and just you know just it has immense devastation on the body um but then you have all the different unique circumstances you know on the person's home where they live um you know cuz then there's you know all those people um that will say you know what about you know over penetration or what if this scenario what if that Um 'cause cuz like with with the shotgun you can go you know you could fire and yeah, there, there could be, there's overpenetration is kind of played up way too much. Um,
0: I'll definitely agree with that.
1: It, it's, it's you know, people are worried so much and the, and the best thing to do with that is to, you know, have good training and train often so that your, um, reactions and your instincts, cause that's the biggest thing is in, you know, in a, in a bad situation, you're going to go back to, you know, whatever your training and the instincts are basically, um,
0: well, and then my thing with that always is, is this: we have heard instances of straight rounds going through people's houses and stuff like that. Generally, that ends up being with some guy drunk and shooting his, his gun like an idiot, or gang violence, or something like that. I have, and I, I guarantee you, we would have heard about it a lot. I have never heard man breaks in home, woman uses gun to shoot man who breaks in home and bullet goes through man, through house, into neighbor's house. I, I've never actually heard that it's it's happened that way in that scenario. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying, based on history, it's improbable.
1: Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely possible, but it's on that very, 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 very far end of the uh, realm of possibility. You know, the same thing as, you know it's still possible that you, you know, swerve away from a dog and then drive through someone's you know, house or something like that. You know, those those things are all possible, but extremely improbable. Um, You know, like I was saying, the best thing to do is if you have that training and you're training constantly and you have that, uh, those reflexes and that instinct that's kind of ingrained in you that happens with training um, is that you will react correctly. And if you put the round into the person, the chances of that round, Going through that person and then going through a wall are so minuscule. I mean, you know, like, like that study found with, you know, all the the muscles and the bones, the organs, the skin, the clothing. For that round, unless you're shooting maybe like a 20 millimeter or a 50 cal, which isn't really the premier home defense weapon, it's not going to have enough uh, energy left after it goes through that perpetrator to go through the wall You know, in there Um, with shotguns, you can have maybe, you know, because of the the, the spray of the buckshot. There might be a few of the pellets that may not exactly hit, Um, but in a home invasion, you're not going to be shooting at 40 yards. You're going to be very, very close. And that that spread is not going to have enough time out of the barrel and enough distance to spread out far enough, really, to to do that. You
0: know, yeah, I mean, your, your, your average distances you're looking at are somewhere between 5 and 15 feet there. And if you pattern a shotgun at that range, you'll see that it's not really opening up much. And and the one thing, the thing that I think like is a myth with people is, well, if I have a shotgun, if I'm in his general direction, I'll hit him folks have to, you guys have to use your shotguns as though they were rifles at those ranges. They have to be aimed, uh maybe not quite as precisely, but but fairly precisely, because you just don't get a lot of an opened-up pattern. The reason, that, in my opinion anyway, that they're a great tool for home defense is because they have incredible stopping power. It's not like you're going to cover a barred door with them, though.
1: No. Uh You know, with, with shotguns, you know, there's you know, there, there's a slight differences in choke, but that's more at longer distances and and, and everything like that. But with, with, you know, the average full choke barrel, you're going to get 70% of your pellets are going to be in about a 30-inch diameter at 40 yards. So you can imagine that's going to be a lot tighter and, you know, even a higher percentage, you know, at 5 feet. Pretty much 99% of them are going to be right there within that, you know, 5 to 10 feet range. Um, so as long as you're not spraying and praying um throughout your house without you know one of the big things that you always are taught uh in in, in any kind of weapons training is um that you always fight you know you, you don't just start firing you know randomly you know in <laughs> yeah. house um you always fire at a at a confirmed target um and that decreases that you'll shoot the wrong thing and also that you that you will have you know those those accidents where where things might uh and also knowing what's what's behind your target as well um is one of the other big things but that that comes with training and and you know that that I can't really stress that enough that you want to go out there and get training and not just buy a gun and and then go out to the range you know uh you know once every 6 months with the gun um if you if you want to be a responsible gun owner I mean and that's what you really need to be
0: yeah, and not on the on the weapons subject for defense, the, another thing that I see in your notes here, and it's something that's always bugged me with people, too, is the whole, I'm going to get a sniper rifle thing, you know. And <laughs> I'm all about shooting long distances, and I enjoy it. And as a hunter, you know, I, I want to be able to reach out and take that deer out at two or 300 yards. And if you can do that, technically, you could do the other thing, too. But um, unless somebody is, like, unless you're in this true, like, societal breakdown where it's all-out warfare, it's it, that's just not a defensive tool um it, it doesn't make sense to me that maybe people look at it that way or or whatever and I, I i don't know what scenario some of these people are mentally preparing themselves for but to me there's got to be a better investment for the average person than you know the quote unquote sniper rifle
1: oh yeah definitely you know this is kind of more of a splitting hair thing with with uh you know military folks where it's like uh, where, you know, you see on the forums and, and, or, you know, or, uh, just random websites, you know, or just people out and, you know, go like, oh yeah, I just bought a sniper rifle. Um, and like, you know, it's, it's a splitting hair thing, but you know, there's, you know, there's snipers and then there's rifles and, you know, a trained sniper makes pretty much any weapon that they're using, you know, the sniper rifle. Um, and, you know, they could take a Ruger 1022 and make it a sniper rifle because it's, what makes a sniper a sniper is their training it's their and and I, I was not a sniper not to you know uh put that out there but um having known known a uh, uh, a few the amount of training that goes into it and it's 90% it's it's uh kind of the uncool stuff um, um a lot of it's you have to memorize all these different tables and and knowing all these you know different mathematical equations Um, which anyone that does shoot long range will know as well. Um, But basically any kind of what people call sniper rifles, they're they're precision rifles and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're fun. And if you're into, you know, shooting long ranges and stuff like that, and that's what you like to do either for hunting or, you know, just for sport and, you know, for, um, for a competition, you know, more power to you. Um, But I think there's a lot better things to spend your money on, especially if you, it's like one of your first gun purchases or you bought a few guns and but you haven't never really shot long range um, you know you can get those souped up seven six two thirty odd, six three hundred wind mags fifty cal rifles out there and you know make them look like they got out of a video game um but I would say you know the the two three four thousand dollars that you're gonna throw into you know like one of those true military grade or near military grade um precision rifles would be a Go out there and get yourself, if you don't already have one, at like a good thirty odd six or three hundred win mag, you know, hunting rifle. Um, you know, get a decent scope for it. Um, get the correct training for it, so that you know what you're doing and everything like that. And and the chances of you going out there in a true, you know, total collapse scenario, and those are you know, uh, pretty far on 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 the end of of uh, probability, I guess. Um, you know, they're probable, but not you know, likely as much as, say, um, you going out and hunting or having a home invasion. But the chances of you going out there and making 1,000-yard shots and that type of thing is <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty low. Uh,
0: yeah, from a, from a practicality standpoint. And then I guess, you know, the other thing you're talking about, how the sniper makes the weapon, not the weapon makes the sniper. If, if you went out and, 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 let's say, went to play golf with Tiger Woods, and I guarantee you he has probably his driver costs more than my truck. And if you took away his clubs and you used his clubs and you gave him a, a set of golf clubs from a garage sale, you're still going to lose, right? And, I mean, and that's that, that that's the kind of the scenario there. The, the tool isn't what makes the person. It's a good idea to have the best tools you can afford uh, for the, the circumstances that you are, are foreseeing. But, it, it you know, buying a sniper rifle is not going to make you a sniper. Yeah, definitely.
1: If I go out and buy a, you know... A, you know, a drag racing car. I'm probably going to end up in the wall because I'm not trained and I don't know sure. what I'm
0: doing. With sure, sure, yeah. I mean, you could go on and on. We could, you know, and some of the the NASCAR drivers could probably beat you in a road course driving a Toyota, even if you had their <laughs> car, right? I mean, that's just, there's a skill level there and a training level there, and and then there's just like you said, the reality. But when we're looking at what you would call maybe like an ascending probability threat matrix for average encounters to like societal collapse. How do you see that? Like, what do you see as, like, different levels or layers, uh, of, of this type of, of a need to be prepared for? And, and, I mean, how bad do you think it could get? And how bad do you, you know, there's the could, and then there's the, the likely.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of, uh, wrote one up myself, and it's kind of been rehashed and done over again, but, um, I, I kind of put together one just as, you know, I'm a very visual person. Um, so it, it makes it easier for me to kind of grasp concepts when I kind of put it all together. And especially when I'm putting it all together, I can kind of, you know, understand it a little bit better, but I'd kind of put one together myself. And, and basically I, I put, um, you know, from the least likely scenario to the most likely scenario and then the probabilities of those and then the probabilities of using, you know, different levels of force, um, you know and then on on the far end of most likely you know it's you've got the hostile encounters or robbery stick ups, you know home invasion type things um carjackings, whatever um and those are still robberies and home invasions you know it's not by saying they're more likely doesn't mean it's going to happen, but you have a higher probability and depending on where you live and everything like that but um to the global breakdown as as kind of being you know the the true you know it hits the fan scenario type thing. Um, and, you know, with like the lower probabilities with the robberies, the home invasions, you have a less likely chance of using lethal force. Not to say that you won't, it all kind of depends on the unique circumstances and these matrices are, are fine to look at, you know, and not, even having done one myself, they're great to look at, but they don't show all the unique circumstances. Uh, my personal opinion is, um, uh, obviously I'm probably a, you know, very castle doctrine type person. Um, But as far as like a, you know, like the true stuff hits the fan centers, there's so many different unique circumstances that could happen between um, from the global to the local and there could be a global breakdown, but where you're at locally, you could still have some semblance of order. You could still have a semi working police force um, and, and things like that. So, you know, when people think of uh the real bad scenarios and talking about on the forums and that's kind of one of the things that kind of bugs me too. And I, and having listened to the show quite a bit, I know it bugs you too. is the whole lone wolf prepper. Or I'm going to, I'm going to go off in the woods and live by myself or, you know, when it hits the fan, I'm gonna, you know, I'm just going to, you know, set up my foxhole and anybody that comes down my road is going to be hostile, um, are short sighted and it's probably going to get you into a lot of trouble. Um, especially if there's some semblance, which there will be, um, most likely. And even if it eventually goes even to the worst, worst case scenario, it'll be there for a while. And so you can't just be going out there and, and, uh, and, you know, John Rambo, you know, an Albuquerque type thing. Um, cause, uh, it was a book I was reading. I can't remember what it was. And it was one of those, um, you know, I think it was like an EMP type thing anyways. And one of the characters, there was some people that were trying to carjack them or whatever, and, and they ended up getting into a shootout with them because they started shooting, you know, just the scenario that was put forth in the book. And what ended up happening was that there was still a lo- local sheriff department that was still working and they ended up coming in and they didn't have capacity to arrest them at the time, you know, just for pretrial, but they did take away their weapons for, um, uh, evidence or whatever. And I think that's a pretty likely scenario um, uh, in kind of those medium to even bad scenarios is that if there's still a working police force somewhat or a working rule of law in the area, then the last thing that you really want to be is um, locked up or have your weapons taken away at that time.
0: Or doing so, anything to attract attention to yeah. yourself that w- would result in that. And I think that people maybe don't get how far things have to fall for the entire security infrastructure to go away. The, the, the guys that do the job, as long as it's practical, are going to show up and do the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, yeah, They might be stretched thin. There might not be enough of them. There might be some of them that go to the other side and are corrupt, but they won't all just go away and, and, and unless you get into that, you know, that Patriots coming collapse scenario is yeah. it's possible but again so is being hit by a meteor that ends the you know the entire planet so there's this that that middle ground i think is a lot more likely wouldn't you say
1: oh definitely um like uh, i was listening to your show the other day where you were talking um i think it was an older one talking about patriots and how you know it, it's a great it's a great uh, um uh i forgot the word that you that you use for it um Manual, almost, you know, with all the information in it. And yeah, it's like a technical
0: it, manual crammed yeah. into a novel, and the novel is, it's you know, it's it's like a train wreck reading it. You know, you want to yeah. keep reading it, but then it's like really that's that nobody talks like that or, or whatever. But but there's a ton of you know model numbers and products and things like that, and a lot of things that work, and a lot of things that you know it kind of explores the the, the concept that maybe this wouldn't work so well. So. It, it's 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 good. And it's like terrible and wonderful at the same time. Is the way I describe it.
1: I I liked it as far as for one from kind of a semi entertainment factor just from the um, from reading it, but more because of the information that was in it. And a lot of times in those in kind of the I guess you want to call it the prepper fiction type books is there's never really a focus on the more likely middle ground scenarios that you would see, and it's always on the worst absolute case scenario, the EMP hits and everything's toast. And then there's roving bands of super gangs coming from, you know, all over the place. And now you've got, you know, 2000 gang bangers running around in in um, uh, up armored Humvees and stuff like that. And, and the, the reality will be, um, just as, I guess, as dangerous, uh, just because people who are unprepared and, and, and starving are going to be, um, or just you know desperate are, are are always a danger, but as far as going to that length, I I don't really see
0: that. Well, it's, <laughs> you know, in defense of the authors, it's it it's a challenge to try to write a middle ground book and make it entertaining, exciting mm-hmm. because you're not getting all these different. You know, you know, Joe and Joe and Linda were well prepared and when the financial collapse came, they stayed home and gardened. Does not make. <laughs> no. Writing, now I think it, it could be done, but it's gonna take a writer that can dig a little deeper to analyze those middle ground scenarios and really develop the, you know, like a, more of a classical writer, because there's writers that can write, you know, a, a story about just two people that grew up on a farm and they can make it fascinating, but it's gonna take that approach in that environment, and I think it's a huge niche waiting for the right writer to exploit.
1: Oh no, I wasn't uh I wasn't trying to disparage the
0: writers. I mean I know that that's what people
1: want to write. Well no you're not. I'm just, written,
0: just yeah. I am pretty hard sometimes on Rawls and I I'm <laughs> just trying to point out that, you know, there's you if you want to create uh, that type of thing, then you, you, you have to put you have to create a scenario for the for the characters to, to be in to, to write that type of novel.
1: Yeah, you know the same thing with like uh Hollywood with military movies, you know, you know, once you
0: you kind of been in and then you see, uh, stuff
1: that goes on and, and just, uh, bad tactics and things like that. You just kind of go, oh my gosh, how
0: can that? Okay. Well, I imagine that, you know, having been both in, in service and in contractual service in, in, you know, uh, decayed areas, war zones, that type of thing, that you probably see huge differences in, you know, from Hollywood versus reality.
1: Yeah, whenever uh any movie about uh Iraq or any place like that would come out, you'd always have a relative or a friend being like, Have you seen, you know, so and so movie? And be like, Yeah, I kinda watched like ten minutes of it and was kind of you know, like, you know. Um but some of it's accurate. It kinda depends from movie to movie. Uh um, the problems that a lot of veterans have with a lot of these movies is everyone's uh you know, this is kind of off topic, but um, you know, everyone's always portrayed as, you know, you come back and you have to have a, you know, a drinking problem and, you know, an abusive relationship. So, uh, it's one of the big things that we have problems with. But as far as from the, the scenery, some of them are actually pretty good. Uh, like um what was the one that won the, uh, the, uh, Oscar, uh, the bomb one? I can't remember the name of it, but that one was actually, uh, as far as scenery goes, was actually, um really good as far as portraying that Um, some of them are actually really good at portraying how hard life is for, for locals. And it's kind of hard for a lot of people that haven't been over to overseas, you know, from anywhere from, um, you know, Central America to the Middle East to Africa and places like that, uh, whether in military service or, you know, Peace Corps or, or missionary activities, when you actually see like those, how life is for, you know, ninety percent of the rest of the world. It's uh kind of an eye opener and it really kind of you kind of start to look at America in a different way as far as um we like to think of ourselves as these you know these grand group of people, which we are, um I have, you know, a lot of faith and and love for uh America and 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 our what well, our system of government was supposed to be and the resilience of our people, but um a lot of people whenever you talk about prepping and you know worst case scenarios not even worst case but you know you know i saw you know like the root, uh, looting or rioting and stuff um and people go oh that that you know that could never happen here in this town that that was just in la or or you know that that's that's in africa you know that's you know it's way different than here and it's it's really not people are still people regardless of geographic location
0: well poverty is an equal opportunity oppressor and mm-hmm. i think that yeah. the problem is a lot of people in this country don't know what poverty is Even if they think they do, even if you think of, like, the homeless people on the street that eat out of the dumpsters, okay? And, like, you know, what I've tried to explain to people before is, like, when I was stationed in Honduras and you were dealing with people that were actually poor, there was no dumpster to eat out of because nobody threw away anything that you could eat, you know? And, I mean, I I think it's hard for people to even get their head around the concept that it's not – poverty is one thing when there's – you know, a poverty class, you know, let call it true poverty, the true homeless person on the street. Then we have a poor class. Then we have like a lower middle class and we have all the way up to like an elite class. And we have all of those things in, in between. There's so many resources discarded by that upper middle class and, and, and middle class and, and, and affluent class that are then able to be picked up and utilized by people that are, you know, down to the street level. But in some of these places, there is no... There's nothing like that. There's no leftover, you know, crumbs for the beggar.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, as far as
0: what we see as
1: poverty here is kind of what you'd see in the middle class as far as
0: a lot of... A Living in the projects with a color TV and a car, we call it poor. And and I'm not saying that those people have an easy life or anything, no. you know, but I'm saying that that's, that meets the definition of poverty in this country.
1: I've, I've, you know, I've spent my, my, uh, my time before where I was, you know, every last penny was, was spent once, you know, all the bills and, and food was, was paid, you know, (laughs) and that's not what I would consider poverty, but it's not a, it's not a, you know, a a fun life or easy, but, um, definitely, you know, true poverty is, you know, you see in other parts of the world, like you were saying, you know, where there's, there's nothing to grab out of the trash because, Nobody's throwing away anything every last little bit of nutrition and food that can be that can be used and every every little thing that can be um reused in in some way is so um that's what we're you know when you go over to those parts of the world, you kind of looked at like this you know alien from space that you know where you're sitting there you know you got m r e s and those types of things and and uh you know you're you're almost like the richest man on the block in some circumstances.
0: Yeah, I remember hearing, Migo, Migo, chocolate, as I'm going to take a leak in the morning, you know, and, and a tube pounded into the ground. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm yelling to these kids, I haven't even gotten mine yet, man. You know, and and, and you, you know, like we, one thing we learned in Honduras was we had to be careful when we were giving food away, because we did it the wrong way, we'd cause fights amongst the, the kids and things like that. You know, it could be actually dangerous. You had to do it kind of selectively and, you know, in small quantities here and there so that there wasn't a lot to fight over. Now, some of the guys took to, uh we were getting these care packages in and I don't know if you remember the now lighter candies, the mm, you know, yeah. square ones. And they would put them into the coolers. So they were hard. And as they were giving away stuff, if the bigger boys started beating up on the little ones, taking stuff away, they would baseball pitch the, the hard now lighters at the bigger kids to, to teach them a lesson. Um, but you know, I mean, it, 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 when you're young, you're stupid and you'll do things like that. And, uh, you, you know, it's only now reflecting back that I realize how desperate those kids really, really, really were. I, I didn't even really get it when I was there at, you know, 17, 18 years of age.
1: No, uh, we had issues with that uh, in in Iraq is when we'd be driving down the roads, you know, you'd be throwing off MREs or, you know, like stuff from care packages Um and kids started getting in fights or they start running into the roads to grab it if it bounced that way and it was getting dangerous. So we ended up not being allowed to do that anymore. Just cause of the, uh, liability with, you know, you don't want some kid running, running in front of a vehicle going 50 miles an hour. It's just, it's, it was too dangerous, but y- you try to do what you could. But, um, it, it was, it was amazing. Um, you know, just, just to see that compared to, you know, growing up even in a, you know, small rural, rural area. Uh, kind of knowing not so much the excesses like what you'd see in, in, you know, in bigger cities or anything like that, but definitely, you know, uh, it was definitely an eye-opener <laughs> for,
0: for... What um, always amazed me is, and I, I think you guys maybe have a little bit better quality MREs today, but back when I was in, we had affectionate names for some of the things, and one was tuna and noodles, which we referred to as Nine Lives, <laughs> and then there was the Corn beef hash, which we referred to as Alpo Light. And the corned beef hash, if you ever had a fat dog you were feeding out Light to, the smell, the texture, I don't know about the taste, but it was almost too accurate of a description. But these kids, they were happy to have it. You know, and and, and here we are, we're mocking it by calling it you know, name after pet food. They had the uh they had the four hot
1: dog ones. Uh we couldn't give those away because they had the pork in them, but uh they finally did away with them in like mid two thousand, we used to call those the four fingers of death. Uh, they were they were pretty
0: bad. <laughs> hey, you know, and you know, we're kind of on the the subject here of like misconceptions, and people not understanding poverty and all. The other big falsehood that I always run across, especially with people emailing me and telling me how crazy I am for being public and all, is the whole concept of the lone wolf scenario and. You've been to a lot of places that are, are pretty broken down. Have you ever actually seen that work for anybody?
1: Um,
0: you don't really.
1: I mean, you have like, I mean, they're, but they're all families. You, you'll have like the the goat herders and stuff like that, but they're not on their own. They have their. They're not one person. Yeah. No, uh, I think that's a really bad. You know, there's maybe one out of a million people that might be able to pull that off, um, but. Or, you know physically and 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 conceptually be able to pull that off but i think a lot of people don't really realize how you know important community is um and and just having other people around where if you know you're by yourself for months and months on end living out you know out in the appalachian mountains or something like that you know uh, uh uh trying to i don't know what you'd be doing out there other than just hunting and surviving um but I, I i just i wouldn't see that as as being a very it's it's highly highly uh improbable that you'd be able to make that work and also uh just I, don't, I wouldn't see that as being a very fulfilling way to to survive if you don't have any uh community around you and you're you're not really doing anything positive other than keeping yourself alive um you're not helping out others you're not um kind of developing that community cuz um you know as, as you said on the show before as far as for There'll be that time, depending on the scenario that's played out, but there'll be you know that certain time where things will be bad, but eventually things are going to coalesce back together, and it's going to be the small towns and communities that are going to be doing that. And you know how are you going to be that positive force for change and getting things back to the way they were supposed to be and how they should be if you're running around out in the mountains with you know a
0: you know big old mountain man beard and you know and and Vikings people most likely, and and my thoughts for the people that think you know my preps are my guns and my ammo and I'll take what I need. Um, you're right. Eventually people will put things back together. That's what human beings do. And we have so much in this country going for us that no matter how bad things get, we're still going to have a certain amount of resource wealth that can be capitalized on. And my question for people like that is, what do you think is going to happen to you when things do get put back together? And you're known as that guy that was doing that. It's not going to be a good day. Um, and and in my experience has always been, even in impoverished areas, people. The harder things get, they're good people group together and they look out for each other. And I, I imagine you've seen much of the same thing, even where things are really bad. Like you mentioned, goat herders. I'm sure it's not like two or three guys. It's a family and maybe extended family and maybe two families that have a you know a common law you know common marriage between them or something. Where there's a sense of community there, and if it's there, then it's damn well going to be here too.
1: Yeah, they'll have the, You know, it might be him and his couple of his sons, or or you know, two or three of his sons out there doing that kind of stuff. But there, you know, there has to be people back at home, um, cooking the daily bread and and um, you know making cheeses out of the milk and stuff like that. Because uh, you can't be out for twelve hours the day her- herding goats and then come back and then make your dinner and make your breakfast and lunch for the next day too. Um, not very easily. And e- even in like you'll see these. One house kind of away from everything, but they're still out and about trading and, you know, trading their milk at the local markets and stuff like that to buy the vegetables that the guy down the road has, um, you know, grown as a uh, cucumbers or pomegranates or whatever you may be growing. Um, it, it'd be really difficult to have that, um, you know, lone wolf type thing. You can have maybe a small community kind of set aside um away from everything which you would you still need you know quite a few people you can't just run off to the woods by yourself or with another person out to your retreat house that's fine and all but um unless you know you can only get there by helicopter and that's how you got there sooner or later someone might be coming up in the area and you can't watch everything 24 7 so uh
0: community is a very very important thing just not just for security but just for Mental health. And, existence, too. I mean, yeah. yeah, just to, just to, I mean, and I guess the other thing is you could take a, you know, a, a Russian Spekna or a U.S. Navy SEAL or somebody that's the most badass warrior you can find and one broken leg and all of a sudden things change. Yeah. I mean, and especially if there's no doctor to fix it. And, you know, you can, we can watch movies like Rambo and the guy stitches himself up and all, but, you know, I mean, when you're talking about any kind of a seriously incapacitating injury, Uh, a lot of that whole bravado crap is out the window. And then we all have this thing that's, you know, works for us for a while, then kind of levels off and begins to work against us. And it's called age. Yeah. Um, you know, if you don't, you don't get to decide that, uh, this will happen when you're 28 and in the prime of your life, you may very well be dealing with it when you're 68.
1: Oh yeah. And you know, like you said, you get that broken leg, even if you did, uh, get yourself back, uh, you know, set the bone and, and got the splint and everything like that, and you survived it and didn't have any major medical issues. Well, now you're that lone wolf out in the woods that's hobbling around on a leg. You're not gonna be <laughs> able to. You're not gonna be able to be uh, tracking down them deer and, and and you know hiking up around the mountains with this you know stiff you know gimpy leg. So.
0: Yeah. Now you're you're up in Alaska, right? So yeah. in, in a northern climate, there has to be certain things that you think about a little bit differently than maybe a person like me that's in uh, in, in Arkansas. If I don't have enough supplemental heat to get through winter, I'll be uncomfortable. Where you could very well be dead.
1: Yeah, the, we're we're kind of uh, uh, jealous of your uh, agricultural zone a little bit, but um, it's it's definitely workable. It all depends on where you are, like the area around the. Uh, Matt who sit in a valley north of Anchorage actually has some great, great um, um, fertile land. We have if you've ever Googled like the Alaska State Fair, they have these massive cabbages and pumpkins and stuff because our short growing season is offset by the fact that we have pretty much twenty four hours of sunlight uh during our summer months. So things grow really, really quick. Um, but you're not gonna get that year round crops like you can get um, um down in down in the in the United States or the continental United States, as we call it the lower forty eight um, so one of the main concerns we have is one we're we're almost like an island unto ourselves um, in a way in that majority of like Canada's citizens is actually situated on the southern border um, so there's really uh, there's there's a few small towns and cities um, along the northern edge of Canada around Alaska that goes down, but those are kind of older you know, gold rush towns that kind of developed during the gold rush. But one of the big things we have is if there's a shortage or, you know, like a breakdown of the, of the supply chain, um, we'd be in, in big trouble if you don't have, um, good preps. You're not going to have that trade that might develop, um, between States down the, down in the U S, um, you know, in a true, you know, total breakdown scenario is what I'm, you know, kind of in that, um, but basically you you have that one crop a year, and if you have a bad year or you have some um, um you know root worms or anything like that that comes in there and and you know kills your crops um if you don't have good you know backup preps in that kind of scenario you'd be in 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 big trouble and one of the things that i I talked about um on my uh website that i I just launched about for prepping in Alaska was that a lot of these lists that you have, like the one year list and all that, I always recommend that you up it by, you know, 10, 20 percent and definitely a lot heavier on, on the, you know, the kind of like the carbs and, and the and the wheats and those types of things. Um, just in that you don't get a lot of natural uh, carbohydrates and, and stuff like that that grow, you know, the natural starches. Um, you can get like the cattails and you can pound the roots out, you know, you can get that flour, actually, that comes from there, and cattails are, like, the Walmart of, of nature. Um, you could fry up the the cattail heads and everything like that, but, it, you know, it'd be real labor-intensive to try to, like, make your whole um, diet upon that. We have, you know, plentiful fish and, and game and stuff like that. That would actually, you know, you can imagine would be going down in a bad scenario, because more people would be out there hunting. Um, but uh there's a lot here that's Great for preppers and then there's a lot here that's not. It's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, there's outside of Anchorage, it's pretty remote and very small, uh, cities and small towns and, and, communities. Um, which is great for that whole small town kind of cohesiveness and, and kind of binding together and not worried about the, you know, the city folk. Um, but, you know, just, just the weather itself is, is very, uh, uh it can be a killer if you're not, if you're not smart about it. And there's people, you know just going out for hikes and stuff like that that uh you know every year that that don't come back just because they they weren't prepared for for something you know just just you know nature anywhere is, is can be pretty dangerous if you're not cognizant of the threats and and prepared for them,
0: yeah, I completely agree i th- I think the one of the things you guys do have going for you up though there is it is such a rugged environment and you are. Uh, to a large degree, dependent on on getting things done by a certain time of year, that it just would seem to me that the average person is far closer to being a prepper, whether they call themselves or, that or not, than a person in Georgia or Florida is likely to be.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um Outside of, say, Anchorage, um, uh, Wasilla is growing in Palmer north of there, but majority, I mean, the, the borough is massive, that, you know, the Wasilda the Matsu borough and a lot of people, you know, it's not really a, a, um, you know, like a really, you know, small condensed city or anything like that. So outside of Anchorage, you know, people have, you know, big pantries. Um, like I said, you know, when I was growing up, we'd have to, you know, two hours to go get anything. Um, there's a small store, but then, you know, that, you know, it's like the little packets of American cheese, maybe a few apples, that type of stuff. So you're not going to go there. For the majority of your food, excuse me. Um so, and, and also with, with the gardening, everyone, um in more of the rural areas has some sort of garden. I grew up with it. My, our neighbor had, um goats and chickens. And for, we would help her out, uh and she would, uh, you know, between helping out and, and paying a few bucks here and there, we always had fresh chicken eggs, which I, I really miss, uh, cause I don't have those right now, and I absolutely love Fresh chicken eggs compared to what you're going to get in the store um, if you don't have, uh, like, a good organic farm around the area. But we always had great um, produce. Um, we would raise our own um, roaster chickens in the summers. And, you know, we had things from wild strawberries to raspberries to kohlrabi, carrots, um, peas, um, cabbage and broccoli that we'd grow ourselves and, uh, a lot of people have uh, greenhouses as well, and that really kind of extends your growing season. You can start your, uh, uh, get your starters out early and, uh, kind of, uh, move that out. Um, and we're actually, I've been talking to some people. It was on one of your shows, I believe, where someone was talking about, uh, co-locating the chickens in the greenhouse, um, as far as for yep. increasing the heat. And, um, there's CO2's a few people. Well. Yeah, there's a few people that are going to be, uh, uh, trying that this summer. So, um uh be interested to see uh how how long it extends it and helps out towards the fall when it starts starts cooling and that could be a a, a great kind of, you know, whole hybrid kind of uh, homesteading system that would work real well up here.
0: Well, you know, what I've noticed is in this conversation that even though we can talk about a lot of, of uh, tactical scenarios, real-world experience, and then, you know, your guy that's been there, done that, and, and may likely have to do it again sometime, um, you still end up coming back to the concept of a lot of the homesteading things and, and self-sufficiency from a practical standpoint so that it, it's it's not – ever a one size fits all solution for people. There always has to be multiple components to creating an individual solution for yourself, your family, and your friends. And the security is important, but so is the stability.
1: Oh definitely. Yeah. You can you know you can have a you have the whole uh retreat prepper dream and everything like that and all the guns and everything like that, but that's not gonna fill your belly um if you don't have you know, the good overall um, prepper mindset. And even if you're not able to at the time have your homestead and everything like that, because not everyone's in that position to definitely have the knowledge to and, and go out and seek that uh um, and, and to start small, you know, just a little uh, uh window sill gardens and stuff like that, that people can do that. Now once a week, you're not going to the store to get, you know, get those food items for your, for your uh, meal. And, Community and and homesteading, and I think that's really where America needs to go from here. And I just think it's a much more um, fulfilling life to to live off the land and and produce your own food and and grow your own crops and and you know and have your own animals and everything like that. Um, in one way or another, you know, different different degrees, but um, much more fulfilling than than the nine to five in a cubicle and and uh, that just that kind of life just I can't. Can't see it as being, you know, that fulfilling. Where you're just not liking going to work every day and just looking forward to getting off. You know, and when you can be doing something that's extremely fulfilling and and you know provides for you and others.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. And you've got a a website where people can learn more about what you're doing.
1: Oh yeah, um, it just launched about a month and a half ago. And it was kind of slow to start, but it's been starting to grow with uh, you know more people joining the forum. It's uh, GreatNorthernPrepper.com. Um, there's a I won't give the blog link. That's right on the website. But uh, I've actually been listening to your uh, your Five Minutes with Jack, so it's starting to help out with with a lot of the technical aspects that I was kind of unfamiliar with. So um, if you're uh, starting a website, I definitely definitely be listening to that podcast. So.
0: Thanks, thanks for mentioning that. I appreciate it. But, uh, I also appreciate you for taking time to be with us today and I appreciate you for your service to the country. Um, I, I thank you for both of those things.
1: Oh, thanks for having me and I, I absolutely love the show and I'm just really appreciative for you putting out all the information you do and kind of a in you know, kind of a really calm and collected and, and, and intelligent manner compared to some of the other podcasts and blogs that you read sometimes where it's just kind of not in that format that kind of, you know, breeds a, an intelligent approach to prepping in general. So um, I, I, I love the show and thanks for having me.
0: Well, again, uh, thanks for being with us. And, folks, with that, this has been uh, Jack Spearco today along with Richard Morgan, helping you figure out how to live that better life times get tough, or even if they don't in our food these days you know it's on our TVs Sometimes we forget we are what we eat I don't know the answer It's like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay I guess when we
1: follow all the rules There's a better way